so it's spring cleaning around here, and some of us have started with our heads. Lucas got a haircut. Tony got a haircut. I got a haircut. We were actually uh, in a competition to see who had the most volume of hair that was cut, uh, because all three of us were in dire need. Um, so I'm not really sure who win, who who won, but we could have like referred several small dogs. I think between the three of us. Um, so I was out to breakfast this week with another couple, my, my wife and I, and um, man, it felt amazing to be outside just sort of lingering over a meal, um, having adult conversation, um, and not getting texts or calls from home saying that there were problems going on. Um, and as we sat there and just, again, just enjoyed time with one another, um, imagine what it would have been like if, if I had been invited to breakfast and it was made really clear in no uncertain terms um, we want to go out with you as a couple, but we want Becky to stay home. Becky's the name of my wife, by the way, not a small hairless dog that you think I need to um, refer with leftover hair. Um, and if someone said, you know, we, we want you to come but not bring Becky, um, that may not seem strange just to go out once in a while that way, but what if week after week um, someone wanted to develop a friendship with us as a couple but wanted Becky to stay home? Um, how would that fly? Yeah, I'm seeing shaking heads in here. I don't think so. And I think the, the women are particularly uh, uh, vigorous in their head shaking. Yeah, if you want to be BFF with me, but not include my wife and not like my wife and not want to be around my wife, it will not work. So it doesn't matter how big of a smile you say that with, how politely you put that, it does not work if you want to develop a friendship and a relationship with me, but somehow leave my wife out of it. Hear me clearly. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is flawed. The church is ever in process. And the church is the love of Jesus' life. He has chosen her as his one and only. Jesus only has eyes for the church and for no other. He won't cheat on the church. He is committed to her and he will never, ever abandon her. Kevin DeYoung wrote this, I might as well have a basement without a house or a head um, without a body as despise the wife my Savior loves. There's a strange little thing going on, and this has been going on for a long time. It's people who somehow say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't feel called to come and gather and be a part of building up and being a part of the bride of Christ. We're talking church today for the second week in a row because in the very best of times, we need to stop and evaluate what are we doing as a church? What are we supposed to be giving ourselves to? What are we supposed to be letting go? Well, now the great shakeup has occurred and all the more we should be evaluating and seeking God. And, and, and expecting to hear from him. Here's a question I want to pose to you this morning, and it's in your community group questions as well, so it's something that you'll be able to um, kind of wrangle with and look at this week. What has changed about the church over the last year? Think about that. What has changed about church? Now, what has not changed about church over the last year? 
Let me ask you this. Have you grown up in your understanding even of what church is? What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to go to church? Have you grown up in your own understanding of that? Have you spent some time digging on your own into some of these questions? It's right and good for pastors and church leaders to be wrangling with this and praying over this and thinking over this. And I assure you that we have and will continue to do that. In fact, your elders at great personal sacrifice to their schedules, to their times as they're figuring everything else out, they have been phenomenal in this season. Your church uh, staff pastors have asked much from the non-staff pastors of this church and they've risen to the challenge. But how about you? We're all to be building one another up. If you're a member of our church, it's your call as well to be digging into this and saying, how should we be moving forward? What is God saying to us? There are brand new demands and opportunities in the world today uh, that weren't here last month and frankly weren't here last year. That's always true. It seems particularly true in this day and age where there's just phenomenal headlines coming at us from all the time, from all directions, from all places. You know, hockey has two period breaks. Basketball, football, soccer has halftime. What happens during those times is this. Teams gather in the locker room. They're with their coaches. They're looking one another in the eye. And what are they doing? Yes, there's some rest. Yes, there's some recharging. But aren't they asking the hard questions? Hey, what worked in the first half? What do we need to adjust to? How are we going to win this thing? What is the opponent, the enemy doing that we didn't expect, that we didn't game plan for? And they're pivoting and they're working it out. And then they are looking each other in the eye. They're getting in a huddle and they're, gonna, they're, they're saying to one another, now we go and strive for victory. We have a second half to play. We have more time to do. Church, we are in a battle. Some of us are awake to this battle. Some of us are awake to this idea of what's going on. Some of us need to wake up to it. Know that this is not Christian cliche, but the most accurate thing I could say. That we fight from victory, not for victory. That refrain we just sang, my victory, my victory, my victory, my victory. That's not us. That doesn't mean me. My victory is Jesus Christ, settled, done, timeless, eternal, once for all time. That's my victory. Church, that's our victory. We fight from that victory. We don't fight for victory. That's a huge difference. This is a hymn called The Church's One Foundation. Listen to these lyrics. The church shall never perish. Her Lord to defend, to guide, sustained, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her, and there are, and the false sons in her pale against both foe and traitor, she shall ever prevail. History proves over and over that the Bible cannot be silenced that Christians cannot be stopped, and that the church can never be closed. That's what history says. That is what we are living right now. If you've been paying attention to kind of the, the news over the last year, and no matter where you get it, you get this sense. It's clear where churches rank 
on sort of the public discourse in Santa Clara County. I've looked over and over again to see if pastors are considered essential. Guess what? We're not. At least not by Santa Clara County government leaders. Now, not to take anything away from essential workers, and I just said today on live chat, man, I'm praying for essential workers. Um, What we know is this, that churches, and this shouldn't surprise us at all in Santa Clara County, churches don't rank at the top of public discourse of going, man, when can we get churches back and all of that? Gyms do, restaurants do, uh, a host of other kinds of organizations do, but not the church. That doesn't bum us out, and that doesn't surprise us. Now, all of that being said, we remain open as a church. I don't know if you've felt this, but I've felt it. There is a massive emergence from hibernation of people. Some of it's the weather, some of it's orange tear, right? Some of it's just all of that. Um, But there's a massive emergence right now. And Christian, I want to challenge you, I want to invite you, I want to stir you up to be about the right action in this time. That as we emerge, that as we come out of things, that, that, that we keep ready for right action. As Christians, we know that this involves a massive deal of, of looking at and tending to the inner life as much as the external life. When I say right action, it's not just jumping in and doing things. It's paying attention to the internal Because doing what appears to be the right thing, not done in love or not coming from faith, is actually sin. It's missing the mark and it's hurting the mission. Listen to Romans 14, 23. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. What about watching church on YouTube early on a sunny, beautiful Sunday morning? Yep. What about memorizing the scripture? Yep. What about feeding the poor and the homeless? Yep. What about witnessing? Yep. We see this, that Jesus comes down on those who appeared to be doing the right external things, but had a filthy inner life. He condemned it as wicked. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That means everything. So do you see how tending to the inner life is vital as we go about our life and take actions? This passage goes on in the very next verse to say this, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many, but but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What Paul is saying to the church here is this. Do not give offense to Jew or to Greek or to the church. Hear me, those on the left, politically. Hear me, those on the right, politically. Those two camps in the outrage culture that is sort of shouting at each other, those two camps give great offense to to Jews and Greeks or to the church. And there's infighting going on left and right. In an outrage culture, do not trade barbs with one another. 
Our life ought to look completely different. Because we're tending to our own inner life, we are not trading barbs for our own sake, but we are disadvantaging ourselves for the advantage of other people so that they might be saved. Isn't it true that the gospel always has and always will be offensive? Absolutely. Know that the gospel is an offense. It's deeply offensive, but to those who are being saved, it is the sweetest sounding message you will ever hear. There might be someone sitting in here today, out on the lawn in in an hour, or listening online, watching online, who will hear the gospel today for the first time, and all of a sudden have eyes to see the beautiful treasure that it is. And say, man, the thing that used to cause such offense is actually a sweet and beautiful scent to me. William Still, in his book, The Work of the Pastor, says this. He says, you need to be called of God to stick out from a complacent, alien community like a sore thumb. You need not try to stick out. Just be faithful and God will arrange it. What he's saying is this. Paul says, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church. You just live a faithful life on the narrow way, and your life will stick out like a sore thumb, even inside the church, by the way that you speak, by your attitudes, by your actions, all of this emerging from an inner life. Church, hear me. Our city is primed for revival right now. Did you know that? Our city is primed for revival. Think of all the ways to evaluate you personally, but also within your community. To evaluate what goes back on the schedule as we begin to open up our lives again. What makes the budget? What falls off of the budget? Can you imagine how ripe our city is, and it starts with our own lives, to say, what is most important in my life? Christians don't binge watch on Netflix. Christians binge read on the Bible. And if you've been binge reading the Bible, which I hope you have been during Shelter in Place, you are popping with ideas. Man, your life has been flushed of so much garbage. So much stuff made it off of your calendar. So much stuff was gone from your budget because it simply wasn't an option anymore. Please don't just take and rearrange things back to roughly the way you think they were sort of in late 2000, what was it, 19? I lose track of time in COVID times. Uh, February of 2020, let's call it that. Please don't do that. Man, the city's ripe for a revival right now. Saying that we are open as a church this is the picture that is, that is sitting on Branham Lane that as people drive by, and it's a message to us as much as it is to the community. It's saying this, that yes, we're open online, and yes, we're open in person for services, but far beyond that, we are open relationally. We just sang about a king who would welcome us. Romans twelve seven says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So we are open relationally to receiving people. You mean even wicked sinners? Yes! All of us being the chief of sinners. Seeing ourselves as saying, man, we're in that camp. God welcomed us. 
that we're open to forgiveness of people who have wronged us, that we're open to um, new ideas, mentally thinking about, God, how do you want us as a church to be a fierce force for good in this neighborhood? What is my part in that? How do I give my strength to that? We're going to talk about a couple of very specific things today. Andres already mentioned this, but part of We Are Open, and the message you need to hear is this. You need to come back and be physically present with your church family. Whether you think you know it or not, you need this. And I can assure you that your church needs this. Other people that are present with you need to see your face. I can see the stress on people. I can hear it from people. I can hear the alienation that people feel. Why? Because there's an enemy of our soul whispering to us, you're not missed. No one even called you in the last quarter. Your church doesn't care about you. You never really fit there anyways. Lie. That's a lie from the enemy. He wants to remove us and separate us and whisper those things. Man, there's such power in coming and being together. I love that I'm preaching to the choir here today. Literally the choir that's here, physically present. I get there are some extenuating circumstances. Grace. Wave after wave of grace. But all things being equal, make the effort, show up, and be here present inside and outside. Show up, don't sign up. That's our new mantra, okay? Show up, don't sign up. All right, let me move on because I'm lingering too long on some stuff I didn't plan on lingering quite as long on. A year ago, start of 2020, we did this series called A Beautiful Day for Our Neighborhood. What was Mr. Rogers' thing? A beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? A Christian way of saying that is a beautiful day for our neighborhood. As I went back and sort of thought through some of the things that, that, that we were talking about in that season, one of the things we said was this, that each day is a new opportunity for beauty in our neighborhood. You know what that means? That means that when we pray and preach and sing and believe that God's mercies are fresh and new every single morning, that doesn't just mean for our life, it means for our city. It means for our neighborhood. It means for our block that we walk around and pray for our neighbors house by house by house. That each day is an opportunity. Um, that, that we can rejoice in every season of life. That we're ready in season and out of season. We're ready to preach the gospel and live the gospel when it's easy and good and convenient. We're ready to live and preach the gospel when it's difficult. For our neighborhood. Every time you see the word neighborhood um, on our church logo, on our front sign, remember that we exist to bring glory to God by being a blessing to other people. The church is one of the most unique organizations I can think of in world history. Here's why. We exist not primarily to serve ourselves, but for the benefit of people who don't yet uh, belong to us. We exist in part for those who aren't members of our church, who aren't members of the faith. And this is going to take spirit-filled, Bible-imagined living daily. God has always called a people to himself so that they would be a blessing to others. Abram, I'm going to make you an entire nation. 
bigger than you can possibly think or imagine, so that you'll be a blessing to others. Church, we pick up that mantle and carry it forward. Here's one more thing about this picture. I intentionally left this picture a little bit blurry. You know why? Because right now we see dimly. We don't know exactly what we ought to do. We don't know how to move forward day by day. Life comes at us fast. And we've got to make decisions and we've got to move and we get it wrong. If we wait for perfect, we'll never complete anything. So we move forward in faith. We know that one day we're going to see things perfectly, but right now we don't. The big message from then and the big message now is this, that church is God's idea and so we look to him for his instruction. One of the things God loves to do is he loves to speak in the everyday. He loves to speak in metaphor. Metaphors are a little bit messy. They're not precise. I've got an engineer sitting in the very back of the room. He would love perfectly precise things that all fit. That's how my dad was too. Metaphors don't quite work that way. They're a little bit more subjective, a little bit more nebulous, but there's so much power to them. So stop and reflect and ponder and contemplate what do these metaphors that I'm going to walk through very, very quickly, you can go do your own study on it, but what do these teach us about what we are to be as the people of God, what we are to do as the people of God, what is forbidden for us to do as the people of God? What priorities kind of emerge from this? What emotions emerge from this? God has a dream for the church. God is building and working the church towards something. Are we in line with that? Let me just walk through very quickly. One of the metaphors is family, that the church is family. That makes me think of close and connected and that there's discipline in a family. There's upbringing. There's work and play and life. There's siblings to deal with, right? That's family. We say this all the time. It's a loose Dave translation of the Bible. We do the hard work of getting along in our family. We don't expect it to be peaches and cream all the time. Ephesians 1.5 talks about the fact that God adopted us into his family. How does Jesus welcome us in? Not just his friends, but his family. And he does it at great personal sacrifice, and yet it gave him great pleasure, Ephesians 1 says. Uh, it also calls the church a building. A building makes me think of the fact that all buildings have a foundation. All buildings have a very specific design. There's function and there's beauty to a building. It's not just all function. Man, there's beauty and art and wonder to it. Buildings also make a really clear argument for the various parts that go into it. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. How about marriage? That's another picture of it. Now, I know that family and buildings and marriage, all of these, can, we can look to imperfect examples, but we can also aspire to, like, what, what should a family be like? What should a, a beautiful building inspire us? What should a marriage be like? Well, a marriage should be loving. A marriage is, is fluid. It means it's, it, it kind of has seasons. There's dreaminess to, to marriage. There's emotions and flutterings in the stomach that you can't really, you know, put your finger on. There's an ebb and flow to it. There's loving through difficult seasons where there are no feelings. Marriage talks a lot about, uh, to us about the church. Revelation 19, 7, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Church, that's us. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Listen to this. 
For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. How about a body? For the husband, for as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. There again, we think about all members of your body being very, very important. Even if you don't think that your pinky is very important, slam it with a hammer, it will be the most important member of your body for a few moments, right? And the unseen parts are actually the most vital. There are members of our church who have since gone away and they tell me, Dave, I still pray for you. Hear me, prayer warriors, that no one knows your name. You never win the You First Award or anything. You are like my heart. You are like the liver of this church. The unseen parts are often the most important. Let me go on very quickly. How about a flock? We're called the flock of God. I don't know if you've been around a real flock of sheep, but they're smelly. There's routine to sheep. You got to kind of train them with that. There's a lot of fear and panic. Ah! There's protection that's needed. There's provision that's needed. There's a lot of tenderness and care. There's seasons of just restfulness. I saw this yesterday. I saw a, a a little herd of goats that were feeding and they just looked very peaceful. Psalm 103, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Let me give you one more, an army. An army is another picture of the church, the way God imagines it for us. What is an army but urgent? What does it mean to be in the army but expect danger? It's also exhilarating. There's also just flat out commands in the army. Yes, sir! Man, you just obey. You don't gripe about whether you feel like it or not. The army implies hard work. The army implies important work. The army implies something is at stake. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Taken together, these form a really powerful composite picture of what the church is and what she is becoming. I can actually think of different periods of history. I'm sort of a church history nerd, um, and I like studying about that. I read, I read about past Christians' lives every single day of my life. I love it. And I see the church as really excelling in certain areas over, over different periods of time. The instruction actually gets even better the longer that you wrestle with each of these metaphors. And the way these metaphors kind of play with each other um, actually brings out sort of new uh, flavors and pictures. I was reading a book, uh, Letters to Malcolm by C.S. Lewis, and he was talking about mental images that come in prayer. But I found this quote so, so impactful, knowing I was going to be talking about these metaphors of the church and sort of how they work. He wrote this, They seem to help the most when they are figurative and fragmentary. Rising and bursting like bubbles in champagne, or wheeling like rooks in a windy sky. Fix on any one, and it goes dead. You must kiss it as it flies, and then, in their total effect, they do mediate to me something very important. If you hyperfixate on one of these metaphors of the church, you will form a cult. I've seen it done. 
But if we allow these to come and go, well, how does that precisely fit with that one? There's a mystery to it. There's a wonder to it. Big idea I want us to walk away with is this. There is a perfect design for the church. There's always flawed execution, but there is perfect design. So the action item is this. Do not give up when you see a gap between what she can be as a church and what she is as an actual church. Don't give up. Return to the perfect design. Say, where am I missing it? God, how can you help me build up the church? Plan on doing a lot of repenting. Repenting is changing your mind, right? We're open to a new way of of thinking. We're open to a new way of doing things. We're open to saying we had it wrong all through 2018 and 19. God, you've shown us some things, so plan on repenting, changing your mind and your direction, and then living out God's plan as you see it afresh. Let me give you kind of a working definition that we've used over time. It's the local church, and again, we kind of borrow this from a book called Vintage Faith and Acts 2. We read this in our membership class. It's kind of lengthy. Bear with me. I put it on the screen. It says this, a local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture. They organize under qualified leadership, gather regularly for preaching and worship, observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion, are united by the Spirit, are disciplined for holiness, and scattered to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. Now, fortunately for most of us, that's not a requirement to memorize that to become a member of this church. We might have like four people as members. I don't know. Um, Let me give you a simplified, like sort of takeaway as a good definition of what we see as a New Testament biblical church. Ready? Here it is. A community of missionaries. That's it. A community of missionaries. There's a whole lot more to it, right? And there's very carefully chosen words into that definition of what a local church is. In fact, there's a lot of Bible verses that sort of support that. But we are fundamentally a community of missionaries. We gather for worship, we gather to warm and train, and then we scatter to worship by loving and proclaiming. So we are a community of missionaries. Listen to this description of how we are to function as a church. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, first seven verses of Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I don't know about you, but I hear that passage read, I look at that with my eyes, and it sends my spirit soaring. Yes! What a beautiful building that would, that would create. What an amazing picture of a functioning, healthy functioning family or flock. 
Then you can show up for weekend worship and bam, get smacked in the face with reality. It's easy to read about being eager to maintain unity. It's more difficult when blank shows up and gives you that look, right? Or when you come and whatever thing is going on, uh, all of a sudden triggers you into not being patient, into not being kind, into not wanting to work toward all of these unifying things that we're told. Perfect design, flawed execution. Don't give up. At that moment, that's your, that is your moment to say, God, I need your grace today at church. If I need it at church, how much will I need it elsewhere? You know, the Christian experience is one of longing. There's sort of a now and not yet component to all that we think about and do. When you compare the biblical ideal to the actual in almost anything, it's that way. I would say this, that much of the church's glory is veiled. Remember Jesus talking about yeast and seeds? The glory of yeast is, is veiled, isn't it? You have to give some time and sort of understand what's going on. The glory of a little redwood pod, a little redwood seed is so veiled, buried in the ground, humble, no one thinks much of it. Given enough time, it emerges beautiful. That's how the church is. Another biblical metaphor, by the way, of the church is is the vine, that that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. What is God's design for you, Christian? It's that you would be restful in Him. It's that you would be productive. It's that you would be beautiful and tasty. There's a seasonal component to this. It's not always harvest season with grapes. There's also even this symbiotic uh, sense to it. But instead of luscious grapes on the vines, sometimes what we see are shriveled raisins on the ground. And those raisins are fighting and bickering and gossiping about each other. And we look at that and go, how can that be? We have the Spirit of Christ in us. What it ought to stir in us, what it stirs in me as a pastor, a long-time, lifetime pastor, is God help us. God help us. And you know what? He does. And there's beautiful things that come from it. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Do you hear it? There's a a sort of a, a now and then component. So as Christians, God is building his image in us, his likeness in us. Our faith has a now and then component. Some people leave the church because it's full of hypocrites. They leave the church because it's imperfect. They leave the church because people there are so needy. You, church, you join and build the church. That's what you're called to do. I'm not even the one calling you to do that. Jesus calls you to do that. 
That's the place for people to be transformed. In fact, a huge part of your sanctification will be to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in the family of God. As you work together to try to do something good, it will be opposed. It will be hard. It will seem like a lame effort at times. And then God will send bursts of sunshine streaking through that you just go, no way. God is in our midst. God is accomplishing us uh, things in us that can only be attributed to him. Marriage, like the church, is a profound mystery. And it is worth pondering long, and it's worth pondering well, really giving time to thinking about it. Like the church, marriage will always have a perfect design and a flawed execution. Here's a message to Christian men. I'll say Christian men because of this. I know Christian women or women can leave a marriage as well. But men, you are called to lead. Christian man, whenever you consider leaving your wife, look to Christ. As soon as Christ gives up on his unfaithful, inconsistent, yet radiant bride, then you have permission to follow his lead. Until then... You love her the way Jesus loves his bride, the church. Friends, we don't give up on marriage because there's flawed execution. We lean into the perfect design of marriage. And then we say, I do, all over again, purely as an act of worship. There are seasons when you're saying, I do, will be no more, nothing more than just in an act of worship. And God will lead you in that. Let me move on to um, sort of a way to get our head. I, I understand as we talk about the church and think about the church, we can be hyper-theoretical. And we can also be hyper-practical. And I think actually both are super good. It's good to stop and think theologically in big picture. What is the church supposed to be doing so we don't just get locked into our little small uh, needs and, and projects that we like to do? but to sort of lift our vision. But I also want to bring it back to say, how am I supposed to act on this? How am I supposed to function as a good soldier in Christ Jesus? What does that mean? So I want to get to some good works and sort of some, some, some ways to, to, to live this out. But before we do that, back to the idea of doing the right thing and tending to the inner life, good works are an outflow of a good heart. Hear me clearly. How do you get a good heart? You go to God. That's the only place to get a good heart. God alone is good. So you go to God. He's the one that changes us at a heart level. Not once for all time, but once justification for all time covering, but then over and over and over and over again. That's the process of sanctification. How do you know you have a good heart? Good works flow from a good heart. Jesus said it really plainly and succinctly. You'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Titus 3.14. read Titus this week. Short little book. It's filled with good works. You think about working out your faith or good works, you think of James, but Titus is loaded with it. It says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. 
so as to help the urgent, to, so as to help the cases of urgent needs and not be unfruitful. Before this morning we get to the good works, I want to nurture your inner life by turning the spotlight to the source, that is, to your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everything you do, every word you speak, flows from the heart. If we jump to good works, if we jump to these beautiful acts of righteousness that are the fine linen of the church preparing herself, if we jump to those good deeds from a sick heart or from sick theology, we actually find ourselves going backwards in life and working against God. So before doing the right things for the right reasons in the right way, that's what I would call biblical good works, we are going to spend some time in confession, which is simply another way of, of, of agreeing with God over the things that are broken, missing, absent in our life. I want to read for you a little prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, and then we're just going to give some space for this, some time for this. Lucas, if you'd come on up. Wherever you are, close your eyes and just listen to these words. I don't have anything on the screen for you to look at. Listen to this as a prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess we have sinned against you in thought word, and in deed, by what we have done and by, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Church, just right now, I'm going to stop talking. You just let that linger and have a time of confession. to confess and regular to confess but we must be quick to receive God's mercy and regularly receive his assurance again in Titus Titus 3 4 listen to the assurance 
that we have from God himself. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And God, we do just receive the mercy that you have for us. God, you never run out. You're abundant in it. God, thank you for the kindness of stirring up in our minds the sin in our lives, the selfishness in our lives, all that we are not. Thank you for a clear and accurate picture of who we are. But God, you don't leave us as just who we are in our sin. We have a clear and accurate picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. We already sang it. We are called. We are chosen. We are regenerated. We are filled with the living spirit of the living God. God, that lifts our head in utter joy and amazement. God, it also fills us with energy that comes from you to be ferociously fighting for good in our neighborhood. Thank you for that. Amen.